Tired of piecing your business forms together from an internet search? Tired of sealing all your business deals with a pinky promise? Looking for a way to add some formality and professionalism to your business relationships? Then you need Formally. Formally is a DIY legal form and template shop for entrepreneurs, small business owners, creatives, freelancers, dreamers, and side hustlers. All Formally forms and templates are drafted by an experienced, licensed business attorney and reviewed by a law professor. So, not to brag or anything, but our forms are pretty legit. So what are you waiting for? Throw those pinky promises away and try Formally today. Sugar free, cause all truth, no lies, the only way to be. No more sugar in our lives, now we're living free. Hey! Now change up the flow, but we hit season two, gotta relive the show. Season one was going in, now we're hitting it again. Having fun with all my friends, going strong until the no end. Remix, me girl, me girl, how you like it, T? You, like you know it's sugar free. You know it's sugar free. yourself right now why is she singing jingle bells and wishing me a merry christmas well because it's christmas for me friends so remember a couple of weeks ago i told y'all i would be celebrating christmas a little early this year to save a little coin right well i was a plan with y'all this is my christmas week now i don't know if y'all celebrate christmas 10th but if you do merry christmas and if you don't that's okay. We'll just revisit this conversation for you again on Christmas 25th for the special holiday bonus episode featuring me and, of course, my mama. I have also decided to throw in another bonus episode. Yes, get excited before we kick off season two because we need a New Year episode, friends. Okay, I decided that we need to get our minds and our hearts right for 2022 because we are only taking the things into 2022 that serve us, that give us life, that push us towards being our best selves and living our best lives. And the rest of that, the rest of the things, the rest of the people, the rest of the nasty thoughts that are just not serving us anymore, we leaving them right here in 2021, okay? Because I don't know about y'all, but 2021 has been a whirlwind. <laughs> I will save the full recap of my 2021 for our New Year episode, but just know that you all have been such an amazing wonderful part of my 2021 friends this space that we have created has truly been such a huge source of my joy and we only going up in 2022 okay because if it's up then it's stuck 
All right. Cardi knows. <laughs> yes. So speaking of joy, can I tell y'all a secret, friends? Of course I can. Because this is our safe space. So let me get into this secret. A couple of years ago, I was having some really cold feet about getting into the podcasting game. <laughs> like really cold feet. But I knew it was something that I wanted to do. And so I was writing down at least hundreds of ideas for show names. One show name that I tossed around was Mac in the Making. So we could have been having a totally different conversation <laughs> if I had acted on that idea. But anyways, I spent so much time just dreaming up episode titles, dream guests that I wanted to have on the show. I had everything figured out in my head, but I was still really nervous about sharing myself with the world, friends. I knew I was literally having the time of my life dreaming all of these amazing thoughts and dreams in my head. But I was still questioning whether or not a podcast made sense for where I was at in my life. You know, two degrees, two bar jurisdictions. Yes, I'm barred in two jurisdictions, friends. A career that was on the rise. Seemingly, everything was just amazing, right? Wrong. <laughs> Y'all know the story ain't that simple or else it wouldn't be a secret, right? So what does this story have to do with joy? And what was the turning point, really? So I was sitting at an interview at that time, and it was a final interview for what should have been a dream job. Like when I tell y'all dream job, baby, <laughs> this should have been the dream. And for so long, it was my dream, right? But somewhere along the way, my dreams had changed. Right. And so I don't know if they had changed, but I was noticing that the safe dreams that I thought I wanted did not even compare to the deep down unspoken dreams that I had not shared yet. Right. So back to this interview. So I'm sitting in the interview and I was dreading it. I was dreading the process and I was dreading even more the prospect of actually getting the job. That's crazy, right? Like who dreads getting what should have been a dream job? And why was I dreading it? I was dreading it because I knew that a job of this magnitude would mean putting my dreams for this show pretty much on hold indefinitely. And I knew I didn't want to give up on these ideas that I had been cooking up in my head for so long. But I also felt this pressure to continue on with the process because, you know, who turns down the opportunity of a lifetime? And that was kind of the, the opportunity that was put before me, an opportunity of a lifetime. Who turns that down? I didn't want to have to. So I was secretly praying to God that I didn't get this job. Ain't that crazy, friends? <laughs> Who does that? So anyway, I'm sitting in the interview and I was asked, what brings you joy? Now, this was a very unconventional interview because I don't think I've ever been asked that question, especially not as a lawyer, because I don't think that joy is like really a part of the legal profession, but that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> We're in the business of conflict, not joy, right? <laughs> so anyway... They asked me what brings me joy, and I started crying, bawling, 
on the spot. And I don't know who was more mortified, them or me. <laughs> because it was so awkward, friends. It was very awkward. I wasn't sure why I was crying. They wasn't sure why I was crying. Um, but the interviewer was like, um, are you okay? And I was like, I am. I'm just crying because the things that brings me the most joy are these dreams that I have in my head that I spend all of my free time cooking up and it's my dream to host my own talk show. And I fear that a role like this would take me farther away from that joy. And that absolutely terrifies me. And <laughs> that's exactly what I said. And I was like, apparently the thought and the terror is very real. And I'm more scared than I had even realized because here I am crying like a baby and what is one of the biggest interviews in my life? And the crazy thing about this was the interviewer thanked me for my candor and started crying too. <laughs> Can you believe it? They said they had wished they had taken more risks when they were younger and did more things to follow their heart's desires. They then told me that I have a gift for being vulnerable touching people's souls and connecting with people and I should pursue that at all costs look y'all I'm sure it was this was the first time ever that either one of us had cried during an interview but we had such an amazing moment and conversation from that point and we still keep in touch to this day and so these moments give me so much life and I live to have as many of them as I can in this lifetime connecting with people hearing their testimony sharing my own helping if I can is truly my life's joy now Avi I ain't get that job <laughs> but the relief that washed over me when I got the rejection call was relief I had never experienced before. I felt like the universe and really the world was giving me permission to pursue my joy. And I have been on this journey to bring all my crazy ideas to life ever since. So thank y'all for making my 2021 so incredibly special, friends. Like, so special. I cannot wait to see what 2022 has in store for us, okay? And we're going to make sure we plan accordingly with that super special bonus episode, okay? Because we need a plan for our 2022 to make sure it's everything that we need it to be. Okay, so look out for that episode. And now, let's get into today's episode. So today we are running back Getting Real Coin Part 1 with financial investing advising extraordinaire and Pluto Award winner. Yes, award winner, Mr. Kevin Matthews. This interview right here was so much fun, y'all. So Kevin and I stayed in the same dorm in college ain't that crazy there were only a handful of co-ed dorms on campus and one was an honors dorm and Kevin and I were in that dorm and that's where we met so sitting down for this interview was literally like catching up with an old friend we laughed the entire time okay we was cutting up <laughs> I really also took his advice to heart and got my financial life together 
because I needed to. Now I still got a long way to go, friends, okay? Just being honest. But during this episode, if you remember, I revealed that I had not yet saved a nickel for retirement at that time. But after hearing Kevin's advice and his story, I was like, I need to do better and I need to start now. So since that episode has aired, I am so proud to report that I now have both an investment and retirement account. And I have consistently put money in both monthly since opening both accounts. So Kevin said the key to building wealth is consistency. And so that's all I'm trying to do, friends. I'm just trying to be consistent. Even if that means I only got $2 that month, I'm putting it away. Okay, (laughs) even if you can only spare $50 a month for savings, friends, save it. Don't say, oh, it's only $50. I'm just going to take it to the mall and get me a shirt or a hoodie or whatever. No, even if $50 a month is all we have, put it away. Because, baby, these pennies, they're going to add up and we're going to be rich one day. I promise you. Well, actually, Kevin's promising us. And so I'm going to hold him to that promise for both of us. Okay. And if you want to take your financial journey with Kevin and if he's in the budget, because, you know, the struggle is real. And you most definitely should consider taking your journey with Kevin if you can. Um, then you should consider taking one of Kevin's financial literacy courses on investing in the stock market. Kevin offers currently a variety of courses for investors at all levels, but focuses specifically on those who are new to investing. If you're interested, click the link in my bio for access to all of Kevin's courses at buildingbread.com, his website. But make sure you click the link in my bio or the show notes or the show description because that is a special link, friends. Okay? Okay. Good. Now let's get into this recap. Y'all ready for this recap? Recap. (laughs) So we started this episode by discussing why millennials who are the highest paid generation ever in history are still living paycheck to paycheck. And so Kevin explained to us that the reason why millennials, although they're making more than their parents or their grandparents, are having less access to financial stability because inflation is outpacing earnings. So basically that means the cost of everything else is rising more than what our salary is rising. So we still poor. Cost of living is too high, college tuition is too high, child care is more expensive than it's ever been. So even though we're making more, we still don't have enough to afford the cost of everything else that is consistently rising. We then talked about how much of our current salary we should be saving for retirement. Kevin told us that we should be saving between 12 and 15 percent, and that includes any matching or contributions provided by your current employer. However, even if your employer is not providing any matching or contribution to your 401k, you can still work up to that gradually, that 12%. You can get there gradually if you're not ready to start there today. 
Kevin also told us that the goal for a comfortable retirement should be to save at least $2.1 million or 25 times your current salary for retirement. He also told us again that if you're not at a place where you can get to 25 times your current salary, maybe let's start at five times, 10 times, 15 times. Whatever you can do, friends, is better than nothing. But the moral of the story is that we need to start now. So then we discussed how much money we needed to be financially stable. Historically, the marker has been six figures or $100,000. But is $100,000 or minimum six figures enough to survive? Kevin told us that it really depends on your location. He said $100,000 may be enough if you live in Oklahoma, but maybe not if you live in New York. But location aside, generally... The marker for annual earnings for financial stability is probably around $125,000. He also told us that you should be striving to have a solid structure and plan in place to achieve financial stability. And that financial stability is more about putting in place a solid infrastructure for your money, meaning having dedicated funds that you can allot towards your 401k, your savings, your bills, your miscellaneous items like extra tacos right it's just more about having the structure in place so that you can grow with the structure as your income grows and then we talked about kevin's recommendations for all new investors right and so Kevin's recommendations for all new investors is to start now and be consistent. Why? Because you can save and invest no matter how much you're making. He told us that even if you had only $100 a month to put in Google stock, that's it. If you had put that $100 a month in Google stock from 2012 to present day, you would have $74,000 now. So it's okay to start small, but you need to start now. So if you're wondering about what you need to do to get your financial life together, you need to start doing something, anything, the smallest thing right now, and you need to do it consistently. Okay? Wonderful. And with that, I'm going to release y'all. Ooh, I feel like I'm in class. I'm releasing (laughs) y'all. But I'm releasing you all to enjoy once again, because this is a rerun, (laughs) this wonderful episode. I know with the holidays coming up, everybody needs a little bit more financial and money saving tips and advice. So here it is. And thank you once again for joining me, friends. As always, it's such a pleasure to have you join me at the tea party. Make sure you tune in next week for, of course, another wonderful episode. Plenty of juicy secrets, lots of love, plenty of laughs, and of course, the most exquisite tea that's 100% sugar-free. Hey friends, so y'all know, I normally don't like to delve too deeply into politics or religion on the podcast, but we keep it sugar-free up in here, so we're going all the way there today. Plus, I just had a real special message on my heart today. So I want to read to you a message from the good book, the book of Cardi. Now, if you want to follow along, you can follow along right here 
in the book of Cardi, chapter B, verse money. So if you look right here, it says, you, my neighbor, don't need a dream. You need money. Now, I know that Martin Luther King had a dream, and a dream may have been enough to sustain Brother Martin, but it ain't enough for you. So the next time you come to me and say, but Sid, I got talent, though. I got ideas, though. And I got skills, though. I'm going to be a good friend and let you know that, honey, your retirement fund and this generational wealth we trying to build don't need dreams, okay? They and you need money. Now, listen, friend, enough kidding aside, but if you're like me and on the get rich or die trying plan for retirement, I know this real dose of reality is tough to swallow. But, you know, that's why I'm here to keep it funky and sugar free with you. That's also why I've invited special guests and top, yes, I said top, top financial advisor, Kevin Matthews on the show today to discuss today's topic, getting real coin, saving for the future. So let's not waste another sugar-free second. Let's get into it, okay? Kevin, welcome. And please tell the good people out there who you are and what you do. Hey, my name is Kevin Matthews II. I'm a top 100 financial advisor and a best-selling author. That's it? You got like 50, 11 credentials and you just go. <laughs> Come on, give us, tell, give us the whole rundown, like who you are, what you do for a living. I want the people to know that they're about to get some good, credible advice today. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I graduated with my economics degree from Hampton University in 2012. I went to UT Austin for my master's in entrepreneurship. I worked at several of the largest banks in the country, um, written two best-selling books. My most recent came out in May of 2021. I've managed over $140 million in investments. So for me, I think that's that's like the real credential. Like degrees are cool, but like, what have you done? So I've seen a millionaire a million times and learned how to build wealth uh, from the ground up. And I've seen people do it so many times. So my job, my occupation is to take those lessons and give it out to the people. Thank you. That was so much better, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) You know, sometimes, you know, they want the long version, short version, you know. No, toot your own horn, because we're about to get into it today with uh, some financial advice. And so I don't want people walking away going, oh, why should I take his advice? I want them to know, like, you you do this for real. Fair enough. So Kevin also has has tried many times to help me get my financial life together to no avail. Still a work in progress. So thank you for joining us. So glad you're here um, and excited to really get into this conversation. So today we're talking about getting real coin. And so this is a several part series where we're going to be talking about all different aspects of getting coin. But today we're specifically going to be talking about keeping a coin because that's harder to do sometimes than getting a coin. But from what I hear... It's the easiest way, right, to, to get a coin is to keep a coin. Um, but hopefully you can help us all out with some savings, strategies, tips and advice. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you about millennials, This all these different ideas and articles that are coming out lately about how we're broke as a generation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I read an article recently that said that 60% of millennials are making over $60,000 are still living paycheck to paycheck. 
And so what factors or obstacles, just in your professional opinion, do you think are keeping us as millennials from financial stability? Yeah, for the most part, I know a lot of people are like, oh, you buy too much coffee, you buy too much avocado toast, all that mess. And that's really a small sub-segment of what's really going on. It's really because rent is too damn high and college is too damn high. Like that's that's, for the people in the back. (laughs) Right. Like that's that's the truth. That's what that's what the, the biggest issue is. So um, it's the fact that, yes, we might be making a little bit more, but student loans are are a factor, like really high rent is a factor. Child care is a factor. And these are factors that our parents, frankly, didn't have to the same degree. Like our parents went to school for like $30 a semester. Your house was a dollar, right? <laughs> so <laughs> like we're coming into an entirely different scenario. And that's the biggest reason why a lot of millennials are struggling financially. Mm. So where does this misconception come around that it's the avocado toast in the Starbucks that are doing us in? Like, why is that the prevailing thought about why our finances or financial stability is in disarray? Yeah, yeah. So that that goes back to, I mean, that's a really deep question if you want to go that deep. (laughs) But I mean, it goes it goes to to blame. So it is easier to say that this is your fault as opposed to really analyzing the policy and doing the hard work of figuring out like why college inflation is is as high as it is, like why are housing costs as as high as it is? Because when you when you do that, right, and the people who've been saying this are like boomers, mostly our parents, right? Y'all the ones that put these laws in place. Ooh. And it's easier, <laughs> you know, it's easier to say, like, you know, it's it's you. And not it's me because I'm signing the paychecks, right? So I think that's that's a big part of it. But it's just easier to say like, oh, look, this is fixable. It's not a systemic issue. It's just you. Just fix you and you're going to be all right. And again, that's true for a small subsegment. But for the most of us, the majority of us, it's, it's a bigger problem that's going on. Mm, tell it. Tell it. Because I'll tell you this. Mm-hmm. I don't eat avocado toast and I don't drink coffee. I don't go to Starbucks and I'm still broke. <laughs> I'm still broke. I'm trying to figure it out. Like I tell you all the time, I'm on the get rich or die trying investment and retirement plan. And uh, this podcast is hopefully going to (laughs) be my first step in actually making a dent towards that journey. But yeah, I feel like I'm still broke. And so even though you say that millennials are making more historically, let's say the, the marker of success was a hundred thousand dollars. Like if we Mm -hmm. could just get to that six figure mark, that was the threshold for financial stability and success. I think that even today, a lot of people still probably feel the same way. Cause I always hear people saying, you know, I have a six figure, this six figure, that six figure check job, uh, business, whatever. So I still feel like people see that as a marker of stability, but mm-hmm. in your professional opinion, is that still the case or do we need to be setting our sights higher in order to actually be financially stable, excuse me, given all of the bills and everything that we have to pay? Yeah, I think it's a lot harder to nail down that exact figure for a few reasons. One of it, one of them being location. 
like $100,000 in New York, I'd learned the hard way, ain't that much money. But $100,000 <laughs> in Dallas, $100,000 in Raleigh, you might be all right. So it, it really depends on where you are. I think um, that number has moved to maybe like 125 or so, again, depending on where you are. But also like in terms of retirement, 1 million, that used to be it. That was, you hit a million, you are good for the rest of your life. Nowadays, especially for our generation, a lot of estimates are saying like 2.1 million is like that goal that you need to have. Um, yes, that does sound like a lot. There are some ways to get there, um, but that that number has has absolutely changed as well. So when you say 2.1 million, you're saying that at the time that you retire, you need to have 2.1 million dollars in the bank in order to have a a successful retirement or like can't flesh that out a little bit for me. Like where, yeah. where does that 2.1 million come in? Yeah. Yeah. So it all depends on what, what comfortable means for you. So comfort for some people says that if I've got 2 million, I can spend $75,000 a year every year for as long as I live and never run out of money. Okay. That's, that's comfort for some people. Comfort for others could be like, Hey, look, I can survive off of 30,000 a year and I can do, you know, my little side hustle or I can do a blog or whatever it is to make up that the extra gap. And I can do that for the rest of my life and never run out of money. So it really depends on, on what your comfort level of retirement is for some people. Um, so that's, that's where that number comes from. Again, those are averages and estimates. It all depends on where you are. Um, but that's the number that, that most people are coming up to for our generation. And it also accounts for inflation. So $2 million today in 2021, in 2060, it ain't gonna, it ain't gonna feel like that, right? It's gonna be a different number. Um, so that's the thing we gotta realize too. Well, how does that factor into people living longer? Like, I'll give you an example. So my mom has been retired for 10 years already, mm-hmm. you know, with no signs of slowing down <laughs> and hopefully, you right? Like no signs of going anywhere. And so how many years do you think that that 2.1 million should or is supposed to cover, especially with people's life expectancies lasting longer? I feel like I watched a documentary. I like to watch money things, even though I'm still working on my money journey. I, li- I like to I like to know what's going on with money. And so I watched this documentary on Netflix. I think it was an explained documentary and they were explaining retirement. Mm-hmm. And historically, per the documentary, Retirement was funded by a pension Yep. for most people. Mm-hmm. And a pension lasts from the time you retire till you die. Yep. No matter how many years that is. Mm-hmm. But now people are using a 401k, which isn't unlimited. It's from the time you retire till it runs out. Yep. <laughs> you know, and so if you're 85 and your 401k runs out, like that's it. And so like how, how long should we expect for this to last or like at 95, you're going to have to consider going back to work or like, what, what should we be planning for? How much should that account for? Yeah. So this is the, the back of the envelope math. So the, the goal is if you can get 25 times your salary in your 401k, if you say 401k and your savings, you put all that together. If you can get 25 times your salary, you good. And here's why. So when you when you hit that retirement level, what you're supposed to do is take out 4% every year and you should be fine. So let's say I got that 2.1 million, right? That means that I can pull out 4%, which is $84,000 
every year. Now, at this point, I'm 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 older. My house is probably paid off. My student loans had better be gone between now and then, right? <laughs> Kids is out the house. So I, I don't, I mean, I need that hundred thousand, right? So 84,000 at 60 something, I should be fine because I should not have as many bills. So if I can do that and I can withdraw 4%, I'm a never run out of money because on average, the market is going to get you seven. So I should come out with that 3%. That's inflation. So the cost of stuff going up. So I should be able to retire, pull out that 84 every year. It should grow back. And then when I'm gone, my kids get that 2.1 and they keep it, keep it going. And that's an absolute perfect scenario, right? So market's going to dip. It's going it to be 100% perfect every single time, but that's the goal. If you can get 25 times your salary, you set. Mm. Mm. I'm <laughs> You making me feel so bad about my life. Why? <laughs> because, okay, so this is the sugar-free podcast. So it's a hundred percent honest. And I'm thinking like, if I have to have 25 times my current salary, and trust me, my current salary ain't much. Like I have zero saved for retirement at this point in time. And okay. so 25 times that sounds like, an insurmountable hurdle. <laughs> so, so there, so there, there's good news here, right? So, like, that is the absolute, like, perfect scenario, right? Not everybody's gonna fall in that 25 times bucket. You don't necessarily need 100% of your salary today in retirement. So, we can okay. cut that back. I think the the lowest amount is 12 times. That means in that scenario, you would take about half of your salary of what you, what you make now, you can live off that plus social security. That's going to make up a little bit. So you're going to get anywhere between half to 75%. You think we still going to have social security by time? As long as I'm paying taxes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's right. (laughs) Right. So like the connotation about social security is, it's not going to, it used to be like a good chunk of your income, right? You, that was all you needed. Now it's going to be like a little supplemental thing. Um, So whether it's 15,000 or 20,000, for, for us, like you can't live off that. But if you got half your salary right now, plus 20,000, you're going to be all right. Right. So like assuming again, that you're, if you own a home, you're not paying that no more. Your kids is out the house. You're not paying student loans. Then you're going to be all right. So like, those are our ways to kind of get half and half, get close to you can, but the 25 times that's, a, that's like ultimate scenario. 12 is like, okay, this is decent. I can make this work. Okay. I guess I feel a little bit better, but I I think that's probably what's holding me back. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I spent some time as an entrepreneur, full-time entrepreneurship. And so that didn't help my retirement because I was for real life on the get rich or die trying retirement plan for (laughs) then. (laughs) And so I went back to nine to five life to have, to put some of those more stable markers, you know, in my life, like having a retirement and not that you can't as an entrepreneur, but it's just, it's not automatic for you there. It's, Mm -hmm. you have to set it up and, you know, like you have, you have all these different demands on your time and money that it's just like, Ooh, I got all these things to pay for. And I just, I never did it as an entrepreneur, but I know that's kind of set me back. Um, But I really do want to put some of those markers in place, I think that the biggest thing keep holding me back is not only fear, but feeling like I don't make enough money to put an, away. Like, right. Like I need every single one of my coins right now just mm-hmm. to live life. And so what is a good mark? I know you hate markers, but just tell like, it's in order for me to feel like 
comfortable saving. Like, so I do save, right? Like Mm -hmm. I do put like an emergency savings like that. So I'm not like totally raggedy, right? I do a little something, but like how much should we be striving to make in order to feel comfortable living, right? Because that's, I need money to live today. And Mm -hmm. then also um, in order to have a little bit tucked away for savings or, you know, and so this is a two-part question. I'm going to have you answer that part first, and then I'll ask the second part after. Okay. So the first one in like, what should we strive for? And the key word is strive, because when you start out, it ain't easy to put 15% of your salary in retirement. That's not easy. I didn't start there. Okay. So like I started, I slowly crept up until I got to that point. So 12 to 15%, that's like the quote unquote, the marker. That's where you, you want to try and get as close as you can. If to you put that to- in, put all of that in retirement, or is that just 15% for savings? And then maybe like half of that you putting in. That's, that's savings. all in retirement. Oh, so again, so so here's the thing. If you get a match that includes that, so let's say they match me at 6%, I'm putting in six, they putting in six, I'm good. So you don't have to do all of it. The more you do, the better off you're going to be. So that's that's number one. If I can get somewhere that's between 12 to 15, I'm good. Or I can slowly work up there. So I don't have to like turn it on immediately, right? So that's, that's number one. Um, but the other thing is, I, I've heard that a lot of times that like, I feel like I don't make enough. I feel like if I do a hundred dollars a month, it's not going to make a difference. Right. I got some for you. So I did a little research. Oh, yes. Okay. Come yes. with it. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I picked out different years. We graduated or I graduated. Do we graduate the same year? I graduated. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So in 2012, if you only invested just a hundred dollars a month, that's it. Not a whole lot. In what? In I'm what? about to I'm about to Oh, okay. I got, I got, I got to build it up. <laughs> So if if all you did was $100 a month in Google from the time we graduated in 2012 to right now, you'd have $74,000 right now. Yeah. $74,000 for just- And you put put all of those $100 a month in a Google stock. Yep. Every time. Every month you say, let me buy a little bit of Google. Let me buy a little bit of Google. Every single month, that's $74,000. If you did the same thing for Amazon, you have about $44,000. So like there are ways to catch up. It's you're a little more aggressive, right? Now, I, now I'm not telling people to invest in Google. You do your own research. You do what you do. Um, but like that, that's just like, oh, look, like I wish I had known this in 2012, right? Because <laughs> I, I didn't invest in Google. I should have. And I interned there. So now I look stupid. Um, right, I, I knew you in 2012. So why didn't you tell me? <laughs> look, I, I wasn't thinking about that time. I was living my life. <laughs> Listen, I'm still living my life, apparently. But but that's the thing. Like, even even those small amounts still add up, right? So, like, that's why I invest in my kids right now because I want them to have that advantage. Because I learned when in 2010, I had my first internship in New York, I found out that my parents had invested just $83 a month. That's it. $80. They had the money because they was buying me Game Boy games and all this other stuff. So if they yeah. did $80 a month from 1989 to 2010, I could have had $800,000, but I didn't because we didn't, we didn't know about that. Like, and there yeah. were no apps back then. So like, I'm not mad, but I do wonder what if, right? <laughs> <laughs> you giving them the side eye though. You I'm ain't like, mad. Yeah, like, but... bro, why didn't y'all, why didn't y'all read this book? Um, what were you doing? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, but on a serious note, like it, it doesn't have to cost 
thousands of dollars. If you can, the more you put in, the more beneficial it's going to be. However, those small amounts consistently can add up and it can help you catch up um, when you start to invest in things um, in the stock market, but just in general, investing in good, in good companies can help you to kind of make up that gap. That's some really good information. I, I feel like, and I feel like you've, you've mentioned this to me before. And every time I'm like, dang, I'm going to do something. <laughs> and then every time, cause I've seen your posts. So for those of you who don't know, you can follow Kevin at building bread. That's his business. And so I, I follow Kevin religiously and I see all his posts about what he's investing and doing for his kids, which I think is phenomenal. Um, but one question before I get to part two of the, this question, what, and you may not have the answer, but what do you think is the biggest reason why people don't act on the advice you're giving right now? Because like I said, I know I've heard this from you before. I've seen it in your videos. And every time I think, oh, I'm gonna put hundred dollars somewhere. And then I just don't like, wh why do you think that? I mean, and, and you, you know, you, you're not my therapist, but why do you think that is? The same, the same reason I ain't got up and exercise today. I think a part of it is, is psychology. Like, oh, I could just do this tomorrow. And unfortunately, like when you lose that time, you, you just don't get that time back. And I don't mean it's just, that don't mean it's hopeless, but like that 800,000 I could have got when I was a kid, that's, that's gone. All I got is what's in front of me. So I think that's an incentive to act now. Um, the other part of it, I think, is that unfamiliarity. I think it's easier today than what it was five or 10 years ago to invest. Like, you had to go through this really complex system and do all this application, all this kind of stuff. Like today, you open up an app and start investing in 10 minutes. So it is a whole lot easier today. Um, and I think- Do you lastly, have an app that you would recommend? Yeah, so my favorite is public. Um, it's, uh, social, it's social and investing. So you actually get to follow people like me and see like what I'm investing in and learn as, as I'm doing it. So like when I actually invest in something, you can say, oh, wow, he, he really did that. Or he sold something. Like, oh, wow. He made X percent. Um, so it's a really great place to learn. I think become a lot more comfortable around investing. And is it P-U-B-L-I-C or? Yeah. Some? Yeah. So public. Yeah. So you can go to public.com slash building bread and it'll pull up my profile. All the stuff I invest in, I post on it every day. Uh, so it's a good place to learn, see what other people are doing and become a lot more comfortable. Mm, okay, so what was the last psychological marker that you were about to give us before? I yeah, I, I think it's just general procrastination. Like when it's something mm -hmm. that's new and something that feels painful, I think sometimes we have this disassociation that saving or investing like costs you money. Like that's $100 I don't have. When in reality, it's really giving yourself more money in the future. So like that, that, that uh, present future complex that we sometimes have, like, do I want to do these sit-ups? No, but summer, <laughs> summer body would be very grateful if I did them crunches today. Yes, right? <laughs> hot boy summer, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been thinking about it, but uh, that hurt. <laughs> I feel you, but it's always worth it when your yeah. haters can watch your glow up on the gram. You know, when that ex from college, high school could just flip through and be like, oh, I wonder what she's looking like today. Bad. Period. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's a thought. Every time they read through my mind, every time I'm hitting them crunches. Mm. 
There you go. <laughs> I just need to develop that same sense of commitment to my finances. Yes, and- it's the same thing. You you hit that deposit black bag every time. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So let me get to part two of that question. So that's what we are striving for in order to get to stability with our retirement account and our retirement savings. Now, what would you recommend is a marker that we should strive for financially in order for us to afford other things? I know for our age group, kids is a really big thing. And, And I was talking to my mom one time and I was like, She's like, you know, are you thinking about having kids? You know, you're in your thirties now. Cause you know, that's what moms do. And I was like, mom, I can't even afford kids. I need to start saving for that. She was like, who saves for kids? They don't even have yet. <laughs> like, should we be saving for kids or should we be thinking like, okay, I need to make X in order to afford them. Like, what are some markers that we should think about when thinking about financial stability for children? Yeah. So that's, an excellent question. And I think most people don't always have that luxury to like plan in advance or have like a a dollar metric. Um, So a lot of people get real creative around kids. Um, That, that includes like, Hey, look, can't afford daycare. Guess who's coming to babysit? Like that's grandma, right? Who, who might be retired. I've seen a lot of people do that and finesse their way out of not paying $1,200 a month for daycare. I'm like, damn, I wish I had that. Right. So (laughs) I say that because I, I we had our, our first kid in New York City. My parents are from Oklahoma. My wife's parents North Carolina. So we talking 10 hours minimum. So you had no options, right? Yeah. Um, but, but aside from that, I think just basic stability in terms of are you able to pay your bills? Are you able to save a little bit? Are you able to put a, a little bit away uh, for, for retirement? If you can do that at a minimum level, don't it doesn't have to be maximum. I think you can, you have the structure to have a kid because the thing is too, you don't want to get into a space where you think you have to be absolutely perfect. Everything's got to be like, you know, I'm, I'm the best at everything in life. So now this kid can learn from me. Like we have to realize that our parents were not perfect when they had us at all. We was just too young to realize it. Right. <laughs> and they, they get older and progress and, you know, get closer to perfection, the older that we get. And that's going to be the same for, for our kids or people who are planning to have kids. But I think the structure and the plan is what you need to have in place. Cause I didn't have, I didn't feel like I ever had enough money to have kids and everybody, nobody feels like, Oh, I got this number. Boom. Let's get it popping. Like it'll, that number is always going to change for people. So I, I don't think there's a specific number, but I think there is a structure that you should have. And that's being able to like save, invest and like have a, don't feel like you're like paycheck to paycheck. I think that's the best scenario to be in. Well, so that's, that's good advice. I, I feel a little bit better now about having kids and uh, one quote, that my family, I think we live and die by is if I waited till I had all my ducks in a row, I'd never cross the street. Right. That's real. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to gather up what you've got and make a run for it is the other half of that quote. And I, you know, so I do feel a little bit better that you're telling me that I don't have to be a millionaire in order to feel comfortable with having kids. But I I need you to go a little bit deeper for me here. Kevin. How much do I need? How much do children cost? (laughs) (laughs) Children cost a lot. (laughs) 
Um, if I want to do it right, like if I want to make sure that little Poppy, because you know, I don't, I never really told nobody, but my my play play baby in my head name is Poppy. So if I want Poppy to go to school, you know, put a little money away from her for her, be able to buy her car, be able to you know do do the things that Poppy deserve. Poppy deserved that. How how much this gonna cost over my eighteen year commitment? I mean, now depending on what what number you'd be looking at. So, <laughs> and, well, g- give me the base, give me the baseline, good parent, and then give me like so just general. So the baseline that you you gonna be looking at between zero to eighteen, you looking at three to four hundred thousand. Now, thankfully, you don't need that on day one. And I think when I first <laughs> looked at it, I was like, oh my god, I'll never have this money. Um, so you don't need that at day one. That that's like daycare, that's formula, that's diapers, that's clothes, sporting equipment, all that stuff is really spaced out over time. So always know that it's it's spaced out over time. Um, I think you should always look to be as creative as you can when possible. So it's help with family. That's hand-me-downs if you have to. And that's also like fresh clothes and fresh fits. Like your kids do deserve nice stuff, right? Do they they have a job? (laughs) I I said from time to time. So (laughs) Wait, wait. Okay. And I say that too, because, okay, so like I told y'all, I follow Kevin and, you know, his advice. And one thing Kevin always puts on his Instagram, Facebook is that he did not buy his child's Christmas birthday. He gave this little boy a box. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so you talk about get the baby nice things. You gave that man a, a water bottle <laughs> with some change in it. Don't, don't I blame did. me. <laughs> Look, that's that's really nice to a two-year-old. Like kids love okay. boxes. Adults love boxes. I bet you right now you probably know what your iPhone box is. I don't. Uh, you don't? Most, I most hate people clutter. do. Like, I don't it, people like nice boxes, okay? Um <laughs> but also like, you know, I personally do not buy him nice things, but like he's got godparents <laughs> that got him some nice shoes. His mom might get him a toy, but I like nice things are our money. So I put money in his investment account every month. And like right now, he's not gonna he's not gonna think of it. But when he ate, hit 18 and he got a hundred thousand, he like, damn, this was nice. So that's okay. that's just where, where my personal focus is. Um, uh, but like you do just des- like your kids do deserve like actual nice things from time to time. Um, as as well as you. Like, I'm not a fan of the the 90s advice where you gotta like suffer and like everything's gotta be bad until all your ducks are in a row. I'm like, no, you can like celebrate. You made a lap, you saved your first hundred, you saved your first thousand, celebrate a little bit, get back to the grind. Um, so I think that's that's a more sustainable approach to, to anything, especially in the finance world. And it's something that actually psychologists actually support too, that you should celebrate, that you should have a break every now and then. And it doesn't have to be, you know, I'm, I'm up at, you know, 5 a.m. grinding, no breaks, like... <laughs> No, that's that's not it. That's not it. Well, don't tell the people that because I'm also friends, very good friends with uh, Kevin's wife, and she said you be up all day, all night grinding. And look, <laughs> but I look, I sleep on the weekends though. But but more so, <laughs> I will say this though, it's not because I'm working so hard. It's because we got uh, an infant, <laughs> so she gonna wake me up at four. I'm just like I'm already up, so I might as well just go on and type this document out. Um, so if we if we didn't have kids, I might sleep a lot more. I will say that. I feel that. I feel that. Well, I love this idea of reframing your mind. That's what I got at what you just said is mm-hmm. kind of reframing 
what we think of when we think of spoiling our kids, because I feel like when most people think of spoiling their kids, it's let me get them the shiny new Mustang for their 16th birthday. Let me get them the new J's when they drop. Let me get them the new Nintendo. Do kids still do Nintendo? Am I dating myself here? You know, I don't know. I got my hot. He's not old enough for Nintendo. Uh, I think I saw one at Best Buy, so I guess they still do that. I don't okay. Know. Okay. Well, you know what I mean? Cause we used to yeah. have the little, but instead of getting them that thinking of spoiling them as setting them up for their future mm-hmm. and putting that money, some of it, you know, to, to the treats and the, the goodies and all that, but putting it towards their future so that when they hit 18, 19, 20, 21, and they're able to take that money, they're like, okay, now I get it. Now I see why you didn't buy me those J's because now I have enough money to not have student loans or I have yeah. enough money to buy myself a house so that I never have to rent an apartment or I have enough money to start a business or, you know, whatever that may be. And I will say that I think that my mom did a very good job, even though we weren't rich by any stretch of the imagination. And I grew up in a single parent household. My mom did a very good job of planning for the future and making sure that we had a good head start. Like we did not have student loans, Mm -hmm. neither my sister or myself for undergrad or grad school. Um, We were also very lucky in that we got scholarships. So we both got full golf scholarships, but when it came to grad school, and a short anecdote before I get to the, we wrap up this interview, but I remember I wanted to go to Emory. And so you all know that I went to, to Emory for law school. And so I wanted to go to Emory so bad, but at first they did not, well, at first they didn't even let me in. <laughs> they let me in off the, listen, they let me in off the wait list, but they definitely weren't going to give me no money. And I had received upwards of 50%, 60, 75% scholarship awards from every other school that I had applied to. Mm. And I told my mom, I was like, I don't care. All my friends take out student loans. I'll just take out a student loan. I'm going to Emory. And she said, little girl, you ain't taking out no loans. She was like, if you want any of my money, you going where they offered you the scholarship. And at the time I was like, oh, she just doesn't get me. She doesn't understand me. But now that I'm older, I know that she understood that Mm. she was giving me the best gift as a parent that she could give me Mm -hmm. by helping me to not have student loans. So, you know, when Emory did, and I wrote Emory a a letter, I said, look, don't even let me in if you ain't giving me a scholarship because my mama said no. Right. (laughs) No. (laughs) She did. She did. And I wrote him a letter. I went to the school. I said, look, I need money. And they came up off of 50%. And I was like, mom, is this good enough? And she was like, I'll cover the rest. And Mm -hmm. so it was, you know, she was giving me the gift because she knew she couldn't cover 100%. But if they could kick in half, like I said, her planning and her saving all those years was better than the the new clothes that we didn't get, right? Like my mom's a notorious thrift store shopper and we used to hate it. But now it's like, okay, she was doing that. And sacrificing then so that we didn't have to sacrifice as much now. So yeah, I'll, I'll add on to that. Like that's, that's the gift that I want to give to my kids. And that, that's really, really moving to me. Um, don't try not to cry. Oh! <laughs> but, yeah, Gotta keep it, gotta keep it gangster. <laughs> um, but no, like, that's, that's the exact vision that I want to have for my kids. Cause I, I was first generation 
for grad school and and college. So like my parents didn't know none of that. I was like, where are you gonna go? Like high school day, I had, I had to I worked at a gas station, worked at Quick Trip, had to pay my own way to go. So mm. quick story on my end, I saved the three hundred dollars. I get to Hampton. You know what it's like. You you land in Norfolk. You got to take a taxi for $50, $60 all the way to Hampton. Well, your boy only had a $75 budget because I, I didn't know that, right? And also yeah. in Hampton, it's a 20, I think you had to be 21 to actually run a hotel. So I get there. I got my bags. I'm like, hey, you know, come check in. Like, oh, you're not 21. Where are you going to stay? I'm like, I'm sorry. Like I... <laughs> I'm from Oklahoma. I can't go 21 hours backwards. I I got to be here. So I had to convince them like that next day. You know, that's, that's what I had to go through because like we had no college experience. We had no like legacy for, for that type of stuff. So I want to make sure my kids had the opportunity to do that. But I've also seen from my, some of my best clients that are in our age group, their parents did the same thing. Parents put down 10000 to get their first house. Their parents were able to say like, look, no loans at all for for grad school, undergrad, and that set them up where they had six, seven hundred dollars to invest every month without nothing. I'm like, how did y'all do that? And I realized, like, oh, it's because mom and dad helped them out. I'm like, that's that's what's supposed to be. That's what generational wealth is supposed to be. Is for your parents and you and your kids down the line have a leg up, and that's how you really build wealth. Yes, it is. I listen. I have known you for almost. <laughs> more than 10 years now. Yeah. And I had no idea that that was your experience for high school day. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> like my wow. parents hit, hit campus twice. Freshman when they dropped me off and then graduation. I ain't seen them since. And that was, I mean, that's because it was, it was really far and it was mad expensive to do that. So like yep. all the other stuff I had to do, my apartment, I had uh senior year, I saved all that money, every single check and paid the, the full rent for the entire year. Because if I wasn't going to do it, wasn't nobody else going to do it for me. Yeah, listen, claps. I I don't want to clap in my mic, but claps to you (laughs) and claps to my mama. Thank you. Listen, (laughs) yes. And claps to Hampton University for that full ride, that meal plan, even though I never ate in the calf. I appreciate that the food was there for me. So as we kind of get to the end of this conversation, which has been fantastic, by the way, how do we budget things? So we've talked a lot about creating that structure in order to have kids and how much we should put away for retirement, but how do we get there? Do you have some tips for creating and maintaining a budget? Yeah, yeah. So what I what I do is called the 50-30-20 rule. So what I try to do, and it's not going to be- That's 100, exact. right? Yes. <laughs> yes <it is. laughs> so what I try to do, and I, I like to back into this number. So- like when I've got my first job, I said, like, oh, boom, just my salary. Perfect. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and go backwards. So this is what I make. So let me take half of this and everything that I need, right? My rent, all that kind of stuff needs to be at 50% or as close to 50% as I can. If I can set myself. So, go ahead. So the 50% includes like rent, utilities, car insurance, like all the necessities. All your necessities, groceries, tacos, all of that. Oh, tacos too? <laughs> that's that's a place where I struggle with my budget is food. So, I spend so a I lot on food. I got you. So I, okay. I've already I've already built that in. So uh what you what do you want to try and do is, is get all of your absolute needs at or under 50%. Now, again, it's not going to be exact. When I started, I was at like, you know, 65. I was, I was trying to get back to 50. Um, so <laughs> if I can do it at 50, I'm good. That leaves me with another 50%. So 30% of that money is for me to blow on whatever it is I want. So that's tacos, that's vacation. If it's 30% of my income, I can do it, okay? 
that leaves me with 20%. That 20%, that's your savings and investing. So maybe it's 12% to retirement, 8% for savings, whatever math you want to do there, that's that 20%. So you want to try and get as close to that number as you can. It could take you a while to kind of shift some things around, right? But anytime that I get a new job, I say, bet, let me cut this in half. Let me see where I can get to this level, that 50%, and do my 30 and my 20, and I'm set up. The reason why you want to do it is number one, if you can get everything under 50% or close, that leaves you with a half a check. You can do what you want to do with it. That's all that's off the top, right? <laughs> also, you always want to build that fun money in there. Is it your budgeting process shouldn't be super restrictive where you gotta force yourself and it's like a whole bunch of effort to do stuff. Um, and you always want to save. So the last part I'm gonna add to it is what I do, and it changed the game for me uh maybe seven or eight years ago, is I split that money into three different accounts. So my bills is in one account that I don't need to touch because it all it's all by itself, right? Then I got my savings, it's by itself, I don't need to touch it. And the only account I need to pay, pay attention to is at 30%. So when I get paid, it goes straight in there, my little 30%, I can do what I want with it. If I go down to zero, guess what? Rent still paid, I ain't gotta worry about it, right? So, and that was, <laughs> everybody's like, yeah, but you know, I paid rent and now, you know, I overdraft. I'm like, it should have been in a whole different account. Don't Them things don't need to touch, right? Um, so that's so are these like accounts with three different banks, or do you have like maybe like a checking, a savings, and like another savings with one so bank? You can you can do it at one bank. It depends on your preference. Some people like having it at one bank because it's easy. I have mine at different banks, um, so that I know they have different looking cards, and I never make a mistake of swiping the wrong one. So that's just me. But some people like it at one bank. Some people like it at different ones. Personally, I like mine at different ones. Hmm. Okay. I, I wish I could write this down, but I need, I'm like trying to pay attention and like also record it in my mind. So, so you said that we needed to put 50% towards our bills. So if you're at a place where your bills are at like 75% of your income, what's the best way to get that down to 50%? Like, do you recommend making more or spending less in other places or a combination? Because for me, you know, I like what I like, okay? You know, everybody has their vices, but I like kale, which ain't cheap. And I like Perrier, which also ain't cheap. So even if my bills is 75%, I'm not willing to skip, like I can't, I can't make no cuts. So what's your, like, what is your take on that? Make more, spend less. And if the answer is make more, how do you get more when, I hate to say it, but most people are on a fixed income. Like people always talk about retirees being on a fixed income. You want a fixed income too. <laughs> your job ain't giving you no more money. <laughs> My first question is what is kale and what is Perrier? <laughs> is, that, is that the, like the, the fancy water? Is that what that is? I know what kale okay. is. So yes, Perrier is artesian sparkling water. Because <laughs> this whole time, I think it's the, that's the one with the green logo. So I've been pronouncing it wrong my whole yes. life. Oh, um, what have you been calling? Wait, what have you been calling it? <laughs> that's Pierre. Um, so, so oh, they're, they're a combination of we have too much fun. There's a combination of of things you can do. So, I think the old school advice was like you just cut everything. You cut everything until it hurts and, and it, it will fix itself. And that works to a degree, except there's a there's a base level that you can't cut past, right? Like you can only go but so far. I think it's it's really a combination. You can cut some things that you're willing to compromise on. If you can make more, you definitely want to go that route because 
if that's your baseline, that's your baseline. So you you have to make that up in side hustles, in negotiations. When you get a new job, um, we've seen that people actually increase their salary a lot more. Um, so that's another way that you can do it. Um, I already mentioned side hustles. Perhaps sometimes it's like starting in, there's a difference in my opinion from a side hustle and a, an entire business. Maybe that works for you. Like a combination of those can usually get you there. Another way you can do it, and this really depends on your preference, is you may want to consider a roommate. Now, I'm not doing that because it's just not me. Like I, <laughs> I graduated college. I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm never rooming with nobody until until I'm married, which is, you know, I'm married now. But like, I couldn't right. have roommates. So that's that was the one thing I wasn't going to cut. So guess who was writing books, right? So, you know, you got yes. to figure out which one you're most comfortable with. Yeah, I'm definitely a make more kind of girl. And mm-hmm. that's why I got 511 jobs. So I'm like, okay, well, if I can't get more from, from y'all, I, I got to get that from somewhere. Because, from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, because your girl likes exposed brick walls and period. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, if we weren't already on the air, I would say, listen, Kevin, don't let anybody else hear you say that. But all of the listeners just heard it. So sorry. Look, I'm I'm country. I ain't changing for nobody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one last tip before we get into these quick fire questions, which is how we end every tea party here at the Sugar Free Podcast. Give us your best financial advice for building wealth in your 30s. Um, okay, so best advice is be consistent. So if I, if I had to sum it in two words, be consistent. Like that's the biggest thing. What I have seen and experienced, and I've seen it in math too, that consistency is is the number one key. So what, like I mentioned, like the $100 you could have put in Google to have that 74, almost 75,000, that's because you were consistent every single month from 2012 to now. That's how you get there. Um, I've also noticed that when people start to get to that $100,000 level, that's when the floodgates open and you really start seeing jumps in your wealth. But the only way you get there is by being extremely consistent. The good thing is you can be consistent while also being lazy, which is what I enjoy. So if you do like an automatic automatic deposit, whether it's from your paycheck to your 401k, or whether you're doing something on your own with one of these apps, if you can just have it auto draft like that, $25 a week, $100, whatever you can afford, you will get there in time. You don't have to be perfect on day one. Don't don't shoot for perfection. I think that's, that's one thing that, especially as 30-year-olds are like really trying to hone in is on like, I graduated, I'm good. Like I sh- at 30, I should be, I should have it all together. No, that, that ain't how it works. <laughs> but consistency is how you get there. So whatever you're doing, paying off debt, fixing your credit, investing, be consistent and it will pay off. I have one quick question. So at the beginning of the episode, you mentioned that if I had put $100 into Google from the time that we graduated college to now, I'd have like, how much was it? It was $74,000. So does that figure account for like the recession and the dips and all of that? Like I would still have 74000 out. Yeah. Even with, because, even with last year's dip. Yeah. And, that, and that's the crazy mm-hmm. thing. Like even with the dips, you would still have $74,000. <laughs> because people always talk about the stock market being a riskier investment. And, you know, there always being that potential that you could lose your money. So that's good to know that even with the undulation and the volatility, you could still come out with 74. All right. Let me get my life together. 
<laughs> let me, let me, I'm gonna go follow you on public. I'm gonna at least follow you and kind of see if I can follow along and see what's going on. So that actually leads me to my first sugar-free quickie question, right? So in terms of investing, do you recommend real estate investing or stock market? No, Which you did this on purpose. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. So... <laughs> So for those that don't know, we've been fighting about this for like maybe five years going back and forth. At least 20. <laughs> at least 20. So, the pandemic was like 15. So, you know, <laughs> at least 20. <laughs> so if, if so, yes, you can do both. Both are beneficial, blah, blah, blah. But if you got to pick one, I'm picking the stock market every time. Every time. Uh, do you want you want explanation? Or you want the, the yes or no? Give me give me a quick explanation. All right, all right. Uh, so quick explanation. One is more liquid. So I can sell half of it and still have the other half there and it can continue to grow for me. So I like the liquidity. I can also start with a lower amount. Like I mentioned the 74000 at Google, I can put $100 a month. I can't do that in real estate necessarily, not in the same way, right? Uh, real estate does have a lot of advantages, but also in terms of pure growth, when you account for costs, the stock market outpaces real estate. So if I buy a home, uh, after I do repairs and electric bills, and all that kind of stuff, when I actually subtract that cost and see what I made, there's a difference there. Lastly, and this is unfortunate, Black homes are devalued at $48,000 per home on average, and Black folks are charged higher interest rates even when we have the same credit scores. That's a discriminatory market that I don't necessarily want to have all of my money there. Some, sure, but not all. So when I look at it and I'm saying, if I'm trying to make the most money, I'm going to go where I know, where it's Apple, Google, whatever, we all going to get the same price. We all going to get the same profit. And it's all going to be good versus real estate where I got to factor in credit score, cost, race, all that kind of stuff. And that could, could hurt me in terms of my return. I'm not even going to argue with you because, you know, it's not the Kevin and Cindy hour. It's the sugar-free podcast. <laughs> so next question, nine to five or entrepreneurship, what would you prefer? Um, Again, this is, I mean, all these, you could probably do both. I'm actually choosing nine to five. I'm actually choosing nine to five. Really? Yeah. Entrepreneurship, like I think people over glorify it. Like it's, it's hard. I mean, you know this, but like, I do. it's not, it's not easy. It's not Every day you wake up to money, every day you wake up to like, oh, I had a $10,000 month. Yeah, but that's, but you also had six months, you wouldn't, you make a dime. And you right. ain't saying nothing yet. So like, <laughs> like, bro, it's, it's really, really difficult. If you can do it and, and things work out, it's better. But the majority of people don't end up in that category. Um, so for that reason, I'm going to pick nine to five. I feel that. I am so grateful that you said that because I think that people are glorifying more and more entrepreneurship, when people really, they don't really know what it is. And I never want to discourage people from that because mm -hmm. I think that entrepreneurship gave me so much. And mm -hmm. I changed during that process more than anything, but mm -hmm. it ain't easy. And people- <laughs> It's not. And, and my mm -hmm. thing is like my nine to fives, plural, uh, like over over the years have actually helped me to to become a better entrepreneur. So I was a teacher. Guess who gets to teach people about investing all the time? Yes. Right? I got, you know, got a job in digital marketing. Guess who can run Facebook ads? So like I yes. always use my nine to five and take those skills to improve my business. So you can do both at the same time, but if I got to pick one, I'm going to just have them pay me, get my 401k and like do my, do my job because entrepreneurship is not for everybody. It ain't. Cheers to that. Okay, next question. I know we didn't talk a lot about this today, but which is better, 
a Roth IRA or 401k? Ooh, so the way that you phrased the question was Roth IRA versus a 401k. Given Mm -hmm. that context, I'm going to choose a 401k. The reason why I'm choosing that is because at, to this point, you can put up to, I think it's $19,000 into uh, a 401k and you can only put about 6,000 into a Roth IRA. So we are already at, at different levels right there. Um, the other part of it is that you may get a match depending on if you're working for somebody that I do not get inside of a Roth IRA. There are obviously benefits to both. In most cases, depending on your income, you can still do both. But if I can only choose one, I'm going with the the 401k. You can only choose one. So thank you for choosing. (laughs) And last question, buying cars is such a hot topic right now because demand is high, supply is low. Which do you recommend, lease a car or buy a car? I am going to choose under the assumption that you're going to keep the car for a while. I'm going to choose buy a car. It is generally much cheaper. If you buy it, you pay it off, you keep it for a while, you're usually better off than leasing over and over. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was a fabulous conversation. I feel so empowered. Like I can go take on the world. I can save a few coins, hopefully. Um, But at least I know what to do now, right? I have a better idea. So if we want to find you, how do we find you? How do we work with you? Where are you at? Tell us where we can get in touch with you. Yeah, you can find me on all things social media at Building Bread. You can learn more about me and what I do and all the other places I'm at at buildingbread.com. Perfect. And you can, of course, find us here at the Sugar Free Podcast next week. So make sure you tune in next week for some more laughs, some more fun, some more conversation. And of course, plenty of tea that's 100% sugar free. Woo chow. Mm-hmm. What a show. We shared some good old tea today, didn't we, friend? Thank you for your presence. I truly enjoyed you at the tea party. And we appreciate you sipping on some sugar-free tea. With me, your host, Sid Mack. Until next time, be sure to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Sugar Free Podcast or at Sugar Free Pod. You can also visit our website at www.sugarfreepodcast.com. See you again soon, friends. And be sure to keep the tea party going, ay, with plenty of tea that's 100% sugar-free. <laughs>